We're going to speak about Father's Day, but I'm not going to be speaking at fathers. I'm going to be speaking about our Father in Heaven this morning. I'm going to be taking you through about seven parts of that so that you have a good idea of, of who our Father is. Amen? So, let's start off with some verses, and you can write these down. If, it's some, if there's some stuff that I need you to look up, I'll go ahead and let you know. But... First, 2 Thessalonians 3.3 3 says, The Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Psalm 23.4 says that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. And in Hebrews 10.23, it's a key verse, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. All through Scripture, in the Old Testament especially, God wants to be known as the faithful God. He, he repeats this over and over. One of the biggest offenses that a person can do is, is not believing that God is faithful and with them. He is faithful. And I hope by the end of this, this time together that, that we realize just how faithful God is. Because faith Faithful and trust go together. If we trust him, we believe he is faithful. Just like you were talking, Brother Dave, this morning and speaking about communion. The young, the young boy with his dad didn't have any kind of worry whatsoever because he believed and trusted his dad and he knew his dad was faithful. That's God. Amen? Number one, God is faithful. Second Timothy 11 reads like this. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. And if we endure, he will reign, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Which means if I slide off the path of righteousness, he doesn't just throw me under the bus. He will try to find ways to get me back on the path of righteousness and won't give up until the day that he calls me home. Amen? Even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. God demonstrates his faithfulness in many ways. For example, when we're dealing with some issue in our lives, God demonstrates, uh, whether it's internal or external, whether it's something that's going on inside of us, or we're getting a hassle from somewhere else, and it's something that just seems to go on and on and on and on until our family goes, just, what is your problem? All you do is talk about this thing you got going on. We're so sick and tired of hearing about it. Our family and our friends have grown weary of it. God does not grow weary. He does not grow weary ever. We can turn to him and he's there. He is always there. As Jeremiah speaks in Lamentations 3.21. I want you to follow through. 3.21 through 24. I'll give you time to go ahead and do that while I get a sip of coffee. <clears throat> and it won't matter what version <clears throat> you have, they're all going to read about the same. On this, I'll be reading it out of the New American Standard. Lamentations 3.21. Jeremiah and the first 20 verses on that has just gone through this horrendous ordeal of talking about how miserable life is. And then he says this. This. I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. 
They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. Amen? Number two, God is faithful. Adam and Eve had sinned and had come into an awareness of their nakedness. They realized because they had eaten the forbidden fruit that they were now, uh, like it says in Genesis 3-7 out of the New Living Translation, at that moment their eyes were open and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. This isn't just naked physically, it's naked in every regard. And they, they sewed fig leaves together to try to cover themselves. Because where did the shame come from? came from the sin because they knew they had done wrong. It goes on, and most of you know the story in Genesis, but in Genesis 3.21, we find that God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord said, and, and I want you to know that there had never been a sacrifice or a killing or a death at that point. God did the first death and did the first sacrifice. And what he did is made garments of skin. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. That, uh, that is Elohim. And knowing that, that good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take some of the fruit from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground which from which he was taken. And so he drove the man out, out at the east of the Garden of Eden and stationed a cherubim and a flaming sword which turned in every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. To have life, there needs to be a life taken. A life for life. A blood sacrifice and a covering was provided by God's own hand. We see this in two ways. In the Old Testament... Adam and Eve were provided a covering. Hear me close. I want, to, I want you to absorb this really carefully because it's important. Adam and Eve were provided a covering by God, garments of protection, before God sent them out. Amen? He didn't cast them out out of anger. He cast them out because of unrighteousness. New Testament. Today... God sent Jesus, his son, because of our helpless and hopeless state of existence. God provided a redemptive covering in Jesus, a free gift of his loving kindness for those who would choose to accept it before the coming of the time of the end. Think about what I just said. There's going to be a coming of the time of the end. Either the trumpet will sound and all creation ends. Are we ready? No, we're not ready if we're not saved. Or it could be that death will knock on our door and we are being called. That's the time of the end for us. Are we ready? We are if we have come into salvation in Jesus and we're covered by the blood. Both ways, God made a provision that we would be prepared. Amen? <clears throat> There's another aspect of this that we do not often think about. And I want to explain it. For we who have come into salvation through the atoning blood of Jesus have been adopted into a family. And we who were lost, that is spiritual orphans in this present world, have now received a name, belongs to Jesus, a name above all names, which becomes a powerful and protective spiritual covering. 
as we pass through the world around us and we are in, in, on, on into eternity. In Romans 8.14, you can follow along with this. I'll give you time to go ahead and find it. Romans 8.14, for all, look around you and just say, hey, we're all, all, okay, we are the all. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Don't, don't, don't think, oh, well, wait a minute, I'm a girl. No, you're a son of God if you're saved. You men, oh, sorry, but you're the bride of Christ, okay? So, so we all have got a soul that God wants to have in heaven. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. If you're full of fear, there's something wrong in your walk in the Lord. That's another subject. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. And as it goes on in Galatians 4, 6, because your sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, that is Daddy. The most intimate way that you can talk to God. Therefore, we're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, through, then we are an heir through God's own hand. Because of God's faithfulness, we are secure. We are safe. We are now, we now wear the name of Jesus for all eternity to see. If you ever wonder why when you walk into a place and there's evil people in there and they look at you like, who are you and why are you here? It's because they see Jesus on you. Or if you walk into a place and, and you're walking around and suddenly you look and you go, it's like I know you, you know, have we met before? No, but we have the same father. We're both adopted, amen. Because it's written all over us that we belong to Jesus. Amen. Doesn't mean we're perfect. I don't get to be perfect till I'm in heaven. But it does mean I know who I belong to. I was adopted. I know what it's like to be adopted. I know what it's like to be in an orphanage and be in a foster home and be absolutely insecure every single day, never knowing if you were going to be cast out of that home just like that. That's how I was raised for 18 years. You want to know what it's like to come into salvation and know that you're secure? That's why I know they tease me about saying hold fast, but I hold fast because I know what it's like to be secure. Amen? And I'm secure in the Lord. And he doesn't cast me away. And I've done some stupid things. I won't tell you about that. He knows them. <laughs> Fortunately, they're all covered in the blood. <laughs> Number three, God is faithful. Exodus 12, 21. Follow along with me, please. I'm going to walk you through this. Uh, Exodus 12, 21.
Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb and take a bunch of hyssop, that's kind of a a vegetation, and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood of the basin to the lintel and to the two doorposts and none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. I want you to, I'm going to bring up a little bit of a rabbit trail for just a moment. But if somebody says to you that God went through Egypt and killed everybody, tell them, no, that's not true. God led the destroyer, that's Abaddon, Apollyon, that is the the devil that you find in Revelation, the same one, and he was in control. God is always in control, and he says, all right, come on, we're going through Egypt, and I'm going to have you take out all the people who are not under the blood. But God was in control. Never forget that. If you say, oh, the devil's beating me up, stop that. Just say, God, the devil is persecuting me, I know that I can cleanse the house, my house. I don't want to have him around anymore. You, when he began to persecute you with temptation in Matthew 4, I've read, you said, be gone, Satan. I only worship my Father in heaven, so I'm saying that today. Be gone, Satan, out of my life. Quit persecuting me. I only worship my Lord in heaven. Amen? Don't give the devil any credence whatsoever. Take it away from him. Worship God. Amen? Through the sacrificial blood placed on the doorway as God had directed, the blood became God's ordained protection, providing a way of rescue, that salvation from death, as it was being allowed by God's own hand for those who had no protection. Today, God sent Jesus to be our sacrificial lamb. His perfect sinless blood spilled on the cross of Calvary for our sins. Blood spilled on the cross. Jesus' final words on the cross were proclaimed in a loud cry for all to hear that echoes across eternity and continues to echo for those who have ears to hear. It is finished. John 19.30, it is finished. He established an eternal protective barrier of the blood, his own blood. And like it says in Revelation 12.11, and they, that is you and I, overcame the dragon, that is Satan, because of the blood of the Lamb, and that is Jesus Christ our Lord. The blood of God's perfect, worthy Lamb, Jesus, more effective than the imperfect Passover blood. The blood of Christ's covering cannot be broken nor crossed by our enemy, Satan the destroyer. The blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord, speaks victory because there is no imperfection. And the blood of Jesus speaks life. And death has no hold or claim on one covered by the blood of Jesus. Because of God's faithfulness, Now, in Jesus' salvation, we are eternally protected from evil and spiritual death, for we are under the protective covering of Christ's blood, and it was given to us by God's faithfulness. Amen. Number four, God is faithful. I'll give you two passages. They're just short, so I won't won't have you look them up. No, I think I will. I'm going fast. So, 
Genesis 6.14, one verse. It's fun going through the Bible. (laughs) Genesis 6.14. God's talking to Noah. And he says, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. And you shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. All right. Would you like a small rabbit trail for just a second? All right. They always say, what's gopher wood? There's nothing in scripture to tell you what gopher wood is. So this is what they've come up with. It's more than likely what gopher wood was, was some sort of laminates in which they were glued together because then it became an exceedingly strong wood because there's no natural wood called gopher wood anywhere in scripture or history. But that would have been a type of laminate. Laminated beams are far stronger than regular beams. They do not break easily. So you could say, make yourself an ark of laminated gopher wood. There you go. That was Noah. Let's take a look at Moses in Exodus 2.3. Exodus 2, 3. And Moses' mother, there's been a, a thing put out by the Pharaoh to kill all the young, the young boys. And because he's concerned about the testimony of a, or the prophecy of a savior. For the, and so this is what happens. Exodus 2, 3. He says, but when she, his mother, could hide him no longer because he's starting to grow up, she got she got him a wicker basket and covered it inside and outside with tar and pitch. Now, we already saw that the ark that, that Noah made was covered inside and outside with pitch. And we see this again here in Exodus. The wicker basket was covered in over with tar and pitch. And then she put the child into it, set him out into the reeds on the bank of the Nile, and, and his sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. That's pretty brave, setting him out in a wicker basket, knowing that that God is going to take care of it. Both the ark and the basket were covered with a thick type of tar, oily pitch. In fact, your early oil explorers back in the 1800s went to Egypt and to the Middle East strictly because of the biblical words here that were the word for bitumen, tar and oil. And that's why they knew that there was oil in the Middle East. The same root word in Hebrew is used for atonement, a covering. For God is faithful and left nothing to chance, but provided an oil covering of protection for Noah and for Moses, like unto the anointing of the Holy Spirit believers receive today. Now, what kind of a, what kind of a, was it like? It was like a thick, tarry pitch, and that was literally tar or bitumen that they put to seal it up so that it wouldn't leak. They did the same thing with the, with the ark that Noah was in. And when we, in the old days, when you would come up and you would begin to anoint someone with the anointing and the covering of, of, of the, with the, with the scented uh, oil perfumed and, and that, it wouldn't be an oil that we do like when we dab oil on someone when we're praying today, what they would do is they would literally take a pasty oil and smear it on you. Why? Because it's not easily washed off. 
and it doesn't just go away. It stays, and the scent stays with you, and that fragrance is with you, and that becomes a marker that Satan cannot stand, and it will cause him to flee because he knows you are anointed with the covering. Amen? Acts 2.37, let's move on just a little bit because I just referenced that the anointing of the Holy Spirit is what we have for believers today. This is clear down at the end of the sermon that Peter has given. And it says, and now when they heard this, the sermon that he's talked about now for, for about 15 verses, it says, now when they heard this, they were pierced in their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's an anointing and a covering, ensuring complete protection, an anointing and covering, thick and even tarry and not easily washed away. That's the kind of anointing that the Holy Spirit is. If you reference the Old Testament, when we are really walking in the Holy Spirit, and He is, this is when we come into salvation, it becomes a powerful covering over us, not easily washed away, an anointing and a covering and a presence of the Holy Spirit coming upon us and entering within, and only those who are saved as Jesus promised can come into such a place if you I'll give you the passage John 14 16 and as you're looking it up one of the reasons it's so difficult to talk to non-christians is because they don't have the Holy Spirit and when you begin talking to them as if they were a Christian you lose them they're lost they don't know what you're talking about it isn't that they're dumb or ignorant or stupid They don't know because they can't know. What they need to know is your sins are casting you into hell, and if you don't repent, you aren't going to make it. God has a deal. It's called the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the only deal there is. You don't have a special way. There's only one way God made it. And you have to align with him. You know, in John 14, 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth who the world cannot receive. Hear what it just said. This is Jesus talking. The world can't receive the spirit of truth because it does not see him. It does not know him. But you know him because he abides in you. That is, communes with you. And will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus said. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me because I live and you live also. You know, Jesus' promise was fulfilled fully at Pentecost. As witnessed by Peter. Uh, Go back to Acts 2.17 and I will go ahead and read this. But I want you to know where we're looking. So this is an important one also. It's a a great day to be on fire for the Lord. It's Father's Day. I mean, I get to glorify God. It's exciting for me. Acts 2.17 and 18. And it shall be in the last days. 
whoa, people often ask, is this the last days? Well, I'll let you decide. Here we go. That I shall pour forth of my spirit upon all mankind. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Now, when it says pour your spirit out on all mankind, does that mean they're all going to be Holy Spirit filled? No, they're going to have the Holy Spirit witnessing to those who are lost that they need to get saved. That's why you'll have people come up to you. Like I had a phone call years ago from a young man. He says, I, I says, what's the matter? He says, oh. he says I, I don't know what's going on, but he says, I need to talk to you. And, it, and I heard this voice that said, I need to talk to you because, because I, either I'm, gonna, I'm either going to die from drugs or I'm going to, I, I've got this hole in my heart and it's empty and I can't fill it. I've tried drugs, I've tried, I've tried other diversions, and he, I won't go into what he said. And, and he says, I know right now that either I'm going to, there's, I only have a few options. One, I'm either going to commit suicide because I can't stand this pain that I've got. Or I'm going to be cast into jail for the rest of my life, which some of my friends are. He said, some have died, some are that. He says, or I think I'm supposed to talk to you about salvation. He said, he didn't say that. He says, I, I'm supposed to talk to you because you have an answer that I need to hear. That's what he said. Within a few weeks, he was saved. Began ministering down here at the, at the young, young folks over where there's a, a prison for teenagers, young men teenagers at, uh, near the Walmart. And he began going there because he knew exactly who they were and what they'd done. He says, you're not pulling any games with me. I already walked the path you're in. This is where you're headed. Had a powerful, powerful testimony. For, did that for a couple of years, ministering to them. Who was witnessing to him? Holy Spirit. Because people were praying, Lord, save the lost. Amen? I will pour forth my spirit upon all mankind, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men will dream dreams, and even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, this was absolutely extraordinary, both men and women, I will pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Holy Spirit was poured out then, and he is poured out today on saved believers. His anointed presence in us, filling us, covering us, empowering us, assuring us, uh, comforting us, teaching us. He even keeps us afloat in the midst of the storms in our life. Just as he kept Noah afloat in the flood waters and the baby Moses in the Nile River waters. He fills us and speaks into us living hope. Whether our adverse circumstances, tribulation and upheavals, or any other drama or contrary thing, because of the anointing, we can live completely secure with no fear, because God is faithful always, always, always. Amen? He will never fail you. You want to know what's going on in life? Go, you know, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to hang on to you, because with you, I know that I will be okay. Amen? Number five, Job 1.10. The devil's talking to Job, or talking to God. God is in heaven and he's bragging about Job. And Satan doesn't like that. Satan likes to accuse us. He thinks that he knows better than God how man is. Okay? So this is what the devil says to God in Job 
about Job. He says, well, have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. In other words, what the devil was doing was mocking God because God's bragging about what a good man Job is. And he says, well, yeah, obviously he's good. I mean, you've got a hedge about him. You're blessing him. You're doing everything. And it goes on. The story goes on from there. But, and I'm going to take you to a place on this so that you understand what that hedge is. God faithfully hedges us in. Okay, even when we're not aware of it or even acknowledge what he's doing, he hedges us in. He surrounds us with his goodness as he places us in a safe place. His ordained place of peace and refuge. What sort of hedge, we may ask? We may wonder, well, what, what, what does that hedge look like? All right, I'm going to show you. Consider the following. Go to 2 Kings 6.15. I'll give you a chance to get there. This is a good one to have marked out in your Bible, yellowed in with a tab so that you can turn to it when all your life is going topsy-turvy. Now the man of God was camped out, that's Elisha, and uh, he was inside of his tent and his servant or his attendant was uh, out getting things prepared. And now when the, ser- when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army of, with horses and chariots was circling the city and the, the servant went back in. Ah, alas, my master, what shall we do? I'm showing, I'm trying to express complete fear. How's that, you know? And so he answered, and he didn't ever even go out of the tent. He didn't even go out and look. He says, oh, hold it, buddy. I'm giving you the North Road version here. Whoa, slow down, man. Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Really? Then Elisha prayed and said, oh, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God had set a hedge. Chariots of fire all around them. Angels all around them. Today in these current times we live in, I hear a lot of different people go, oh, it's crazy out there. I don't know how I'm going to be able to, there's this going on and that going on. I go, well, slow down. You're letting your mind race. Stop it. God's with you. And I'll refer to this passage right here. Why? The angelic hosts, certainly, even as we have just read, God sets them around us. Just like it says in Psalm 91, I will set angels on assignment. Guardian angels. Ministering angels like Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane. When we're in, our heart is aching and things are going on and he sets angelic hosts with us and it's not near as severe. But there's more. Jesus is our high priest. We truly need not fear because at any time or any reason, and I'll tell you why, for he is covering and surrounding us with prayer all the time. Everyone in here was prayed for this morning. By Jesus, our high priest. You didn't go out of the house without having received a prayer already. 
prayer of comfort. As he ministers to his saved ones at all times and in all places, he is praying for us. Oh, you might be thinking, yeah, but things in my life are hard and tough and uncomfortable. Anybody relate to that? You don't have to raise a hand if you don't want to. So, but everybody in here should probably raise their hand, okay? So, but I would ask this, and you should be asking yourself, every time you begin to focus on the hard, tough, and uncomfortable as you lift up thanksgiving and praise to God, because you just realized by the Holy Spirit how much worse your life would be without Jesus holding you up. How much worse would it be? All right, here we go. Matilda's out in the water, Okay. She's fallen in the water. She can't get out. She's floating along. The ship has gone on. She's going, Lord, save me. And so as she's starting to go under, suddenly she's right here. And there's little waves and stuff. And she could feel something down here holding her feet up. And she goes, Lord. She gets her mouth up. Help. He says, I am. No, but I'm just barely there. He says, well, you don't want me to hold you up? Oh, no, hold me up. I'm fine. I'm fine. Matilda realized how worse it would be if God wasn't holding her up. Amen? We need to thank our Lord in every circumstance. Hebrews 4.14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are. There is no temptation in this present world that Jesus hasn't already experienced and conquered. I want to say that again. Everybody thinks, oh yeah, but we live in these modern times. We aren't modern There isn't anything new under the sun, as it says in Ecclesiastes. There isn't anything going on in this world today that wasn't going on in the time of Jesus, and some of it was a lot worse. He was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, verse 16 in Hebrews 4.16, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We need to realize that Jesus sits at the right hand of his Father, our Father who loves us and cares about us. And as it says in Ephesians 1.18, I'm going to have you turn to that. Ephesians 1.18. Ephesians 1.18. Powerful passage. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? This would be God's power in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. This is literally the Trinity saying, what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? And these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all." 
Jesus is our high priest. He makes intercession for us, speaking to God the Father about us and speaking for us. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. But even more, Jesus' prayers are powerful and surround us like a wall of fire that Satan cannot cross. Cannot cross. Zechariah 2.5 For I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her and I will be the glory in her midst. I used to pray this over Nancy when she'd be traveling. Lord, set set a wall of fire about her of your anointing and your presence that when she is in foreign lands that Satan can't even see her. Amen. Jesus' faithful prayers bring peace to our souls, for He, as it says in Psalm 91.3, He delivers us from the snare of the trapper, that's so we aren't blindsided, from the deadly pestilence, that's so that we don't, get, we don't fall out to some disease or some god-awful thing. He covers us with His pinion that's under His wings, and we find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark in every part of our life. Amen. Number six, I'm just about done. God is faithful. Exodus 13, 21 goes like this. The Lord is going to make, the Lord was going before them with a pillar of cloud by day and, and lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night. This is where the children of Israel have come out of, crossed the Red Sea and they're starting to traverse through the, the barren lands. Who in here likes being in pitch black darkness out in the middle of the woods and there's no way to know which way you're going? You know, kind of like, kind of like late October, early November when there's no snow and the moon's not out and it's a dark and stormy night and you hear creepy things out there in the woods. Crack, crunch, creep, whoop, you know, all that kind of good stuff. And you're going, okay, I know there's a path up here. And you begin to walk the path and suddenly whap, whap, whap in your face. Well, that must not be the path, so I guess I better find another one. And your flashlight just went dead. Well, I think I'll just sit down here and wait for dawn. And then you hear this crunch, 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 crunch. And you're not sure if it's a bear or Bigfoot, okay? (laughs) That wasn't in my notes. (laughs) That was ad-lib. The Lord is going before them in a pillar of cloud by day. That's because of the hot blistering sun because the area that they were in goes 125 to 130 in the summertime. And that's the real deal. That's, that's, that's the real temperature. And he was a pillar of fire by night so that they could see where the fire was at. They wouldn't lose their way. And it would light up the whole area of the camp. What's that got to do with anything? And he didn't take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Fire and the cloud, God's faithfulness by day, his faithfulness by night, keeping watch over them so that they could always see him and know his protective presence was with them. Ever present, ever leading, ever encouraging, ever comforting, ever showing the way. And today, what does he do? Those who have come into Jesus' salvation have come out of the darkness of this present world and in Jesus they can enter into the light of God's presence. And they need not walk in the darkness of life any longer. If you are walking in the darkness, 
you've got the problem because the door is open to walk into the light. No one's holding you back. You're holding yourself back. And if you're holding yourself back, I would question, what is your problem? Why would you want to live back there when you can live out there? Amen? John 8, 12 says, and then Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Hear what I just said, because it confirms exactly what I ad-libbed to you just a moment ago. It says, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, and the one who follows me, follows, will not walk in the darkness, but have the light of life. Amen? Leave the past behind you. It's there. So what? It's covered in the blood. Why go back and look at the garbage? It's only worse the second time around, and it gets worse after that. Don't try to reconcile it. Walk away from it. Reconcile your life with Jesus. Amen? James 1, 7, it says, In him there is no variation or shifting shadow. In Psalm 36, 7, How precious is your loving kindness, O God, and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house, and you give them to drink of the river of your delights, for with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. God is faithful even unto the eternity of heaven. Hear what I'm going to say, because this is a picture of him and his faithfulness in heaven. Revelation 22, 5. And there will no longer be any night. And you will not have need of light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> Number seven. God is faithful always. You can write these verses down. Hebrews 13:5. For he himself has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say before all of creation, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And as he has promised in Isaiah 41.10, do not fear. I am with you. Do not fear. For I am with you. God is a kind, loving, compassionate Father. And having been saved in Jesus, we can enter fully into God's faithful presence. This day and the days that follow, I would say, take the time to lift up praise and thanksgiving for God's unending personal faithfulness to you. Amen? As I'm saying a few words, turn to Matthew 6. If you're not saved, I would ask, what in the world is holding you back? You could die before you go out the front door here. You're just one heartbeat from being with the Lord or being with the devil if you're not saved. Because if you're not saved in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are lost. And lost means, I never knew you is what God would say. Whew. I hope you carry that burden for the lost because there are people out there crying out in their heart and spirit for salvation and they just haven't met the person that can speak to them yet. If you're walking along in a humdrum, boring Christianity, you're the problem, not God. Amen? Ask the Holy Spirit, 
I need a little action. How can I serve others? Amen? Ask them, what can I do to serve? Because we are to be about the kingdom business. It says, go and be about the kingdom business. I'll just leave it with you and the Holy Spirit. He will guide you. Amen? Matthew 6, verse 9 through 13 is the Lord's Prayer. We're going to say this together. You could say it out of your Bible if you want to, but I'm going to say it out of the New American Standard, so I'm going to read it nice and loud, but I would like you to just go ahead and you can speak along with me as we go, and this is going to be our closing prayer. So, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And everyone said, Amen. Turn to someone next.